Everyone still looks uncomfortable. Perhaps they all remember that old saying, power corrupts, corrupts, corrupts. Welcome to Second Officer Slog. I'm your host, M. With me is regular co-host, Jackson. Hello. Hi. We're here with episode 15. It's episode 15. The 15th episode that we've done. Oh, yep. In production order, it is the 14th episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we've moved some of these episodes around uh, for sweeps week. You could say we're moving back and forth through time. <laughs> you could say that. That is a thing that could be said. Oh, uh, how's it going? You know what? It's Okay been a bit of an up and down time recently everyone's kind of wild but i didn't i didn't actually i didn't actually want you to get real this is our star trek podcast fuck you you don't ask me that and be like oh this isn't the place for it (laughs) the behind the sausage part is that in real life you give me shit when i like you say how you and i go fine and you're like that's not an answer (laughs) (laughs) oh podcast you're like keep moving keep moving uh this one in particular is, 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 is of all of our podcasts i feel like this is the one that like I care most about, like, people coming to it three years from now, more than anything else. I guess that's true. Um, because no one's listening to it now. Hey, if you like this podcast, tell your friends, check out our podcast, StarTrekPodcast.space. We have a few listeners that let us know about the goings-on. Uh, oh, God, like we, have a, we have an email. Or is that from is that for the next episode? That's, that's for the next, next episode. episode. That's, okay. that's, that's, for, that's a discovery email. Yeah. yeah that's right. for the la- Sorry, no, that's for the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, patreon.com slash abnormal mapping uh, as you can tell we're recording this after work it's like an evening recording usually we record on Sundays I'm also uh, kind of under the weather so any kind of uh, inconsistencies in like being all hype about stuff eh, that's why it's a bit of a down episode we're going to be fine we're going to do our best to be entertaining for you we have two episodes um, and a book to talk about uh, so the two episodes that we are going to be covering this month are um, The Corbomite Maneuver, uh, which is episode two of the original series, or 11, depending on, you know. Uh, it's episode and... 11. It's episode 11. No one goes by production order in this. Well, we have sometimes, just because we check Memory Alpha, and that's what they use. Yeah, no. I mean, Memory Alpha lists all of the order, to be fair. But in... Any, whatever. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, uh, Operation Annihilate, Operation Dash Dash Annihilate, exclamation mark, uh, which is the last episode of the first season of the original series. Uh, the oh, book. I I did totally last time we did the, one of these episodes argue the other direction, didn't I? Yeah, that's yes, on me. Yes, My that's why I was remembering. That's why I went that way because I yeah, remembered no. that conversation and was like, I should stick on the thing you said before. No, this is gonna... on me. My apologies. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I know. We're having that kind of a day. Uh, the book, though. Uh, is called Lesser Evil. It is a DS9 relaunch novel. Uh, if you have not listened to our other segments, uh, our other podcasts about the DS9 relaunch, uh, probably not the best time to jump in. You should probably make sure that you know what's going on in DS9. Uh, but there's going to be no spoilers for that stuff in the first half. As always, you can enjoy the, the Star Trek talks, just some episodic chats. It's going to be fun. 
So next month, we are watching The Cage, which is the pilot for the original series. Uh, it is in all, like, for a long time, that episode was hard to find, but it's in all DVDs and Netflix and everything. You can get a hold of The Cage, so watch The Cage. We're also watching Dagger of the Mind, which is the original series, season one, episode 10, um, according to Memory Alpha. But we now know we can't trust Memory Alpha. It is the 11th produced, 9th released. It's episode 10. <laughs> Wait, ha- <laughs> the original series is stupid. I don't understand anything about it. None of this matters. Anyway, we are also going to be reading the book, and I totally had it pulled up here, Desperate, Desperate Hours, Hours by David Mack, which is the first Discovery book, and you will be able to follow along with that as long as you have... You, know you could probably follow along with that if you aren't watching Discovery, but you should probably be watching Discovery. We're just going to go ahead and assume that you're watching Discovery. Yeah, it takes place before Discovery, so, like, you don't need to know. I mean, I guess we'll probably spoil the thing that happens in Episode 2 of Discovery, but everyone knows that already. It's the premise of the show. Yeah. Sorry, Rip. Rip. Rip, <laughs> rip indeed. So, we're. I, I've had that book since it came out. I'm very excited to dig into it, so I'm very glad to be off this DS9 train for a little bit. Yes, uh, we're going to be taking a little break, because uh, after that we're doing Shadowverse stuff, and eventually we'll come back. Um We'd like to get into doing just more Star Trek books that are not necessarily a big, deep lore investment on the listener's behalf. I mean, we want to go further into the relaunch universe because there's a lot of cool stuff there we want to like read, but we want to uh, keep it, uh, keep mixing it up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, especially since one of the one-off books I would love to read is a sequel to one of the episodes we're about to talk about. I know. <laughs> I need it. I need it. So let's take a short break, and uh, we will be back on the end of this music to talk about the episodes. episode is the Corbinite Maneuver. This is the original series. Season 1. Episode 2? <laughs> See? You said it has both, but on the actual episode page it I says know. I episode hate it. 1 times 2. I hate it. Um, because when I watched it on Netflix it was 10 deep. and I don't know. It, the original series is a mess. Anyway, it aired the 10th of November 1966. It was written by Jerry Soule. It was directed by Joseph Sargent. It takes place in the year 2266. In this episode, the Enterprise is doing Enterprise things, exploring space, the final frontier, when they come across a strange, uh, like, cube. Anyway, they approach it, it blocks them, they try to go around it, it blocks them, it fills the ship with radiation, so they have to destroy it. They all feel bad about this, or weird that they just had to shoot a thing they couldn't, didn't understand, and then they continue onward. Then they meet a giant ship, a giant ball ship. And it is a mile wide and is very strange and unusual. And on that ship is a character named Baylock who is like, I am from the First Federation. You destroyed our ship. You were clearly hostile. We cannot trust you. Please go back. Or, or he does he, he just says he's going to destroy them. He doesn't actually tell them to go back, right? Yes. Well, he first says go back. 
Uh, and then they're like, they talk to him a little bit, and then he's like, "Hey, you've been you've been pushing it too late. Yeah. You're getting destroyed." Anyway, they say we can't do that. Our job here is to explore. And he's like, "Well, I'm going to destroy you." And then they're like, "Well, that we can't let that happen. We need to escape." So, or they actually surrender. He goes to tow them to a, a planet where they're going to be marooned, and then they escape from that. And the ship is damaged, and they go explore that ship. And it turns out that Baylock was actually testing them to see if they were actually peaceful. They have a nice reunion. Or a nice meeting, and then one of their crew decides to stay on Baylock's ship to learn from him, and he can learn from them. And Star Trek happens, as Star Trek has never happened before since, <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yes, this is, uh, as established by our goofing uh, and Memory Alpha, the second episode produced of the original series. So everything's a little weird. It's actually the, the... third episode produced? What? Oh, right. Yep. God damn it! <laughs> Fuck yes. This. So uh, one of the interesting things here is, um, well, a couple things. One, they are from like the United Earth uh, fleet or whatever, the United Earth ship Enterprise, uh, because the early parts of the show are really weird. Um, and also this is, uh, this is, um, uh, gosh, what's his name? Uh, Leonard McCoy. What's the actor? DeForest Kelly's first episode. Uh, I have not seen whatever episode one is, but I he's not in that apparently. Oh, I've seen that, uh, but I don't really remember it. I saw it years ago. Or production was such that he filmed these scenes before that. Anyway, this is the first time he is on the ship, uh, which is hilarious because he's immediately doing weird things that he should not be doing. But also sometimes he's like exactly right. Like he both nails it and is weirdly out of character since he just stands on the ship when they have 10 minutes left and argues with Kirk about metal re- medical records. Yeah, it's it's a ridiculous episode. Uh, DeForest Kelly's great. We talk about that every time because uh, Bones is the best. But this episode, him coming in and like being the perfect foil to Kirk, and like there's a scene, or there's a couple scenes where Kirk will say something like, "Oh, we've got to do this," and he'll he'll say, "I know we don't," and then Kirk, I, I don't have good examples. I can't remember the quote. It's been a while. I um, mean, th- this episode like opens with Kirk doing his physical while they have encountered this strange cube, and they like, turn on red alert, and it's just a light in sick bay. It's not a sound, probably, so it doesn't startle you when you're doing surgery or something. Anyway. Uh, he um he doesn't tell Kirk until he's done with his physical, and McCoy's like, "What if I jumped every time there's a flashing light around here? I'd be talking to myself." As Kirk's already gone, basically to the camera, being yep. ridiculous. But I got the I got the quotes. I got the dumb ridiculous quotes here. Uh, two little scenes of Kirk and McCoy like uh, Kirk going, "Aren't you the one that says a little suffering is good for the soul?" McCoy goes, "No, I never say that." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's really good. Dr. McCoy, I've heard you say that man is ultimately superior to any mechanical device. No, I never said that either. I could have sworn I heard you say that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, just uh, stone-faced uh, straight man McCoy in the ridiculous world of the Enterprise is, it's there, it's right there. Uh, so, And there's a lot of things like that where things are off because it's very early, but where it matters in the like core of things, it's just the most Star Trek thing. Like The yeah. names are wrong, they get what you say about warp wrong, blah blah blah, the stuff that doesn't really matter, but they, they come across a thing, they have a misunderstanding with the thing, uh, the thing escalates to tension, and then it resolves in such a way where understanding is reached, people learn, and everyone goes on uh, the journey through space. Yeah, I mean, Kirk walks down the corridor in no shirt. <laughs> uh, Kirk does do that. Yeah. and the, well, So there's a scene of him walking down the corridor with no shirt, which is very ridiculous. And then he gets to the lift, 
uh, and like pulls the thing, says, uh, I think he makes contact with the bridge and basically says, is there any like urgent thing? Okay, I'm going to go change now. <laughs> yep. Uh, it's it's very silly. So uh, I feel like like this episode is such like a coherent like statement about what Star Trek is. It's hard to like pick it apart because what this actually is, is they encounter a thing, the thing accuses them of hostile intent. They say, no, we're not hostile. And then they have to prove it. And then they do. And then when push comes to shove, they go back for Baylock because they think he's injured or they think like his ship is like life supports failing. And Kirk's like, we have to do the right thing. We we say we're better people. We have to go and be better people. Uh, and then they do it and it pays off handsomely. But it is just like the entire like opening monologue that opens Star Trek is this episode. Yes. Uh, it the, like if there is a thesis statement of Star Trek, it is this episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and it, like in many ways, like you can see the echoes of this episode, like Encounter at Farpoint is also kind of just this episode again. Uh, and uh, with Q, the way in which Q challenges the crew of the Enterprise and uh, like Kirk's when Kirk convinces everyone to come back and go rescue Baylock, he basically uses like the same lines of the opening, the way that uh, Picard does in Measure of a Man, where he's like, we're supposed to seek out new life. And there he is right there in that chair and points at Data. Like, that's basically how Kirk gets everyone to go back and find, like, rescue Baylock when no one wants to do that. Uh, yeah, no, like, uh... <clears throat> God, uh Kirk makes multiple references like, what is our mission here? We have mission. We have to uh, follow these values that have been set out. Uh, and it's cool. I really like the Corbomite maneuver a lot. The actual Corbomite maneuver itself comes in the part where it's doing the other Star Trek thing of uh, bridge to bridge tension that comes entirely through like uh, someone sends a message and then gives a timer and then someone responds with their move. Like it's almost similar to like without the war stuff, it's very similar to like Balance of Terror. Um, like that's two soldiers uh, leading ships in this ridiculous naval battle situation. Um, but this is uh, more space mystery. Uh, uh, you have forgotten the actual most important part of this. Well, what is which the actual is, most important part of this? This is the inspiration for the final episode of Galaxy Quest that is referenced in Galaxy Quest, the film. I don't remember i vaguely remember so the the like final episode of galaxy quest that's like a cliffhanger is they're confronting the bad aliens and the captain uh goes we have a a device called omega 13 and if you touch us it will we will set it off and it'll be a powerful super weapon and then it's to be continued and they never back it up and then when they make the the quote-unquote real galaxy quest ship the aliens do they just have an omega 13 device and they're like we don't really know what it does we just made it because you know they got it from the television show and it's just like the corvamite basically oh right. i guess that's totally right yes i didn't think right i guess that is totally the thing in yep. that movie they have a magic bomb on the ship because uh they based them galaxy quest is good yeah they think it's a bomb it's not actually a bomb doesn't do the time thing or something yeah it rolls back time 13 seconds yes I remember now. That's a good movie. Yeah, I know. It's a really good movie. We'll probably cover it sometime because I actually think Galaxy Quest is one of the best Star Trek movies ever made. So, yep. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, like you have Kirk bluffing and there's this ridiculous um, moment where they talk about poker and Spock's like, I, I don't understand this poker. Uh, like Vulcans don't bluff. We don't know anything about this sort of thing. Vulcans totally lie and bluff. Come on, Spock. <laughs> I've watched Enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> You're so full of shit, Spock. Uh, I like it because um, 
like uh spock is basically saying uh we have to just accept that we are beaten here and there isn't we like have to we're going to die and there's no like logic dictates that if we can't if we can't win then we have to uh accept the truth and then kirk's like no we there must be another way uh and in walks <laughs> in walks mccoy um to have an argument about the subplot of the episode, uh, which is this guy, Bailey, who uh, is uh, the navigation officer uh, of in the pre-Chekhov's days where there was a fucking rotating chair of whoever was at, uh, at that console next to Sulu. Whoever was going to be uh, murdered or racist in that episode. <laughs> yes. And, and I really like this episode as like an inversion of that plot because he does have a bit of that, of being like shitty, but it's not because he sucks it's because he's has to be a star trek character but is absolutely not ready to be that like uh bones is giving kirk shit for promoting him too fast for not uh adequately preparing the crew for the stuff that's going to happen and he's basically having a nervous breakdown uh one of the, this episode one of the things we'll get to kind of getting ahead of ourselves because you haven't seen the cage right not yet, but I will okay. do. So Cage opens with, like, Pike being, like, a very, like, war-weary captain. He's like, oh, all this shit's happened. I just want to quit and go back to Earth and chill out and not have to worry about any of this captain bullshit. And you get, by episode two, kind of in the same place where it's like, you've been captain long enough that you were, like, way too hard on people who remind yourself of you because of the ambition you see in them, but also that you kind of hate them for being as impetuous as you used to be. Uh it's kind of like the stuff that they touch on in Star Trek Beyond when they finally like start to get Kirk right as a character. Um, and I uh, really do. Yeah. Um, and uh, I really like this idea that like you are just going to be the hardest on someone who reminds you of yourself because Kirk does that throughout all of like in the movies. He does that to his son. He does that to everyone around him that could possibly be like him. Uh, Kirk is bad in that way, in that exact way. <laughs> And yeah, no, I see. Sure. I I am also bad in that exact way. I am the most hardest on people who remind uh, me of me. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, but everyone like McCoy is immediately like, you can't treat him like that. He's just a kid, even though he does. He, like because these are Star Trek actors, and he's just an actor from the '60s. He looks older than all of them because he just has '60s face. <laughs> he doesn't look like a kid. Yep. In the way that we think of how like uh, kids look today. Yep. Um. But one of the times he does that is, like, after he's had his blow up on the bridge uh, and basically has a big nervous attack and is like, this guy has said we're all going to die in ten minutes. Why aren't you all freaking out? I, well, we should to, all be freaking out. To be fair, Sulu's job at that point is to calmly count down the ten minutes, which he seems, like, he does with, like, a very perfunctory Ivan and Starfleet a long time. Sometimes this is just your job that is, like, kind of ridiculous, but also, like, Sulu's the best. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, it's It's ridiculous because... Uh, because it's a um, TV show, uh, you have to have someone announce every countdown. Sometimes it's the computer. Usually in, T uh, in TOS, it's Spock. Uh, in this uh, this episode, it's Sulu. It's, uh, it's a good time. Uh, but Bailey has a breakdown. Um, and gets Oh, oh one, one weird point. Uh, the countdown clock is like a replacement shot. I don't know if you look at those videos of like the originals versus the restorations, but the entire like way they shoot that countdown clock, it's like a CG replacement for the original clock. Huh. I did not realize that. Yeah, it looks it looks really weird in the episode because I was like, that can't be the original shot because that looks strange and video gamey. And so I looked it up and yeah, it's totally like an entirely different, like the way the clock displays is different. And it's just a wholly made up thing because the original is like spinning like 60s dials almost. 
huh, I did think it was like, that's really clear and nicely. Like, I can really yeah. read this. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I don't know why they chose that shot of all things to re- replicate and do so in such a different way. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but, so he has this breakdown. Uh, McCoy takes him to sickbay. And then McCoy, in the, when they are in the middle of this 10 minutes, like they've got 10 minutes to live uh, and, and before the ship destroys them, um, McCoy comes in onto the bridge and goes, Kirk, we have to talk about Bailey's medical records. Uh, and uh, Kirk's like, fuck off. I'm trying to deal with, we're all about to die here, Bones. Then uh, they have an argument and McCoy's like, well, look, you're probably going to solve it. So we should probably talk about this anyway. Like, it's fine. Um, uh, and Kirk gets mad. He's like, don't you try to bluff me. And there's like, wait, Bluffing. <laughs> Not chess, Spock. Poker. It's ridiculous. Yep. <laughs> the original series uh, is ludicrous in a way that is incredibly 60s and incredibly fun sometimes. Yeah, no. Uh, among the fun parts is that Baylock's ship is a giant disco ball, and Baylock himself is a ridiculous alien puppet that is played both as, like, really, like, dramatic and scary, but also a puppet. <laughs> Yes, it is like played as that in the show because that's how things that are dramatic and scary look in Star Trek. But then it is also a literal puppet in yep. in the universe itself. Later on, it's a whole thing. Because real Baylock is seven year old Clint Howard, just a yep. Ron Howard's baby brother with ridiculous eyebrows and Frangy teeth. Oh, he he does look ridiculous. Yeah. What if we just had a child with like a voiceover as yeah. an alien? Like, yeah, sure. I mean, it works. It's really effective. It's very off. It's very unsettling when he shows up and is just like this weird cocktail drinking child. <laughs> the ending kind of comes out of nowhere. It's good. A lot has happened. They have. They only have so many minutes <laughs> wrapping yeah, that no, all up. This is a rushed show, not in a bad way, but like they get through a lot. They yep. hit all the beats. Yeah, this is this is a great episode. If if you wanted to show someone what the original series was about, like kind of at its best, I feel like this is definitely one of the episodes I would show someone. For sure, for sure. Yeah, Star Trek's right here. So let's move on to our next episode. You picked this entirely because of its name, Jackson. <laughs> this episode is called Operation Dash Dash Annihilate! Exclamation point. Uh, it is the 29th episode of the original series. Uh, yes, it is both production and, uh, yes, good. Works out, lines up. It aired for the first time in 13th of April, uh, 1967. It is written by Stephen W. Uh, Karabatsos. Yeah, that checks uh, out. Yeah, that, no, I scanned it. I was like, yeah, got it. Uh, directed by Herschel Doherty. Doherty? Doherty. Doherty. I was like, that looks like Doherty. But A lot no of that is there. just silent and messy. Yeah. Didn't expect that one to give me as much trouble, but turns out, there you go. Uh, set in 2267. Uh, this episode features the Enterprise approaching the planet Denver. Uh, they can't contact it um and eventually uh they see a ship heading towards the sun they follow it and the the ship is like going directly into the sun they try to track to beam it out but they're too far away uh and it burns up in the sun before uh after they get one little bit of communication of it going of the pilot going like i did it i'm free uh and no one knows what that's about um but uh kirk's concerned because his brother sam is on that planet uh, oh, they're also, sorry, forgot the key plot point that is just established casually through dialogue in this opening. Uh, they're also tracking a 
pattern in a straight line of mass insanity that has been going through this section of the galaxy. So they conclude that this pattern, this this whatever is causing this mass insanity, has reached Denovan. Uh, they go to Denver, land there with a very large away team, um, and they find uh, Kirk's dead brother, who is immediately dead. There's just like he is introduced and killed within two scenes, uh, and his wife, who is uh, dealing with the effects of this insanity. Uh, insanity quote-unquote 60s terms as she is like in screaming pain and isn't really able to communicate but basically uh gives them a little warning saying that there are things that came and they uh, all happened they all came on a ship and it's ruined everything and then she dies from the pain leaving kirk with his uh brother's child he's his kirk's nephew uh is set taken to the ship and they have to figure out how to deal with this in their attempts to figure out how to deal with this, they find these uh, creatures who are like single-celled organisms that float around uh, and they don't know what to do with them. They, they shoot them with the phasers and they they don't even collapse that properly. Like it takes way too much phaser fire. Uh, but one infects uh, Spock. One latches onto the back of spock and the rest of the episode is basically spock dealing with these parasites which are controlling him uh they are putting him through immense pain and attempting him to like uh take over the ship to steal the ship to go and do whatever has to be done to like drive the ship into the sun or something uh and eventually they discover what they need to do to like destroy these parasites to destroy the well, it's it's one organism it's basically these are all cells that are all a single entity and making everyone go crazy for some reason or other uh, and they realize that the only thing that can kill this creature is the light of the sun um so they put the creature they put the like the cell in a little test tube put a bunch of light on it it dies and then they realize they need to test it on spock uh before they attempt this on the planet and they put spock in a little chamber turn on the light uh and the creature is destroyed uh spock is cured and then he's blind <laughs> he's completely blind mccoy is, is very apologetic because he realizes oh wait they're just like uh, susceptible to this band of light we didn't need to blind everyone so they fix everything on the surface uh, by shooting it with satellites with this band of light everyone is cured uh, the day is saved uh, and then spock walks in completely he can see totally fine because there is a uh, like under eyelid thing in an eyelid on the in vulcans that is a hereditary trait uh, everyone's fine uh, spock and mccoy have some uh, accidental but explicit sexual tension uh and everyone goes in uh goes upon their ways after the comedy beat at the end of the episode star trek happens and uh and kirk's nephew orphaned just uh lives on the enterprise forever <laughs> apparently i guess they don't send him back do they yeah they never like both well, his parents are dead they don't ever talk about it so three interesting four interesting points of trivia from this episode i guess Kirk's brother Sam is just William Shatner in a mustache, <laughs> and it's amazing. <laughs> yes. Because all you see is his body, and they roll him over, and it's just William Shatner in a mustache. It's beautiful. Uh, it's it's the best. It's clearly the greatest thing that's ever happened. The parasites just look like fake vomit. <laughs> they don't look very... And not only do they not look nice, but like one of the people on the away team, the uh, random 
woman who's now we need the, a woman for this episode. The the only other woman of color in the original series. Is, wait, is that true? I don't know, but she's like she's like another she's like a black yeoman, and there's like there's no other like women of color in that show. I feel like ever so yep. it was worthy of like I noticed. I was like, huh, interesting. They can't be killing her off, right? They don't kill off the ladies. No, like she has to have a subplot about someone uh, having sex with her. This other guy's gonna die. No, actually, nothing of that happens for either of them. They're just kind of there on the scenes. I was convinced the other guy. So there's her. There's four main characters, and there's one random dude in the back. Yep. And that dude was so dead, but he was fine. You have you've gotten off of your point, which is at one point she looks at the thing when they first shoot one down. She's like, that doesn't even look real. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, which I. Th- you can't do that because it breaks the whole thing because all of 60s Star Trek looks like that. Yep. No, for sure. Uh, this is a goofy episode. Yep. Uh, this episode, another point of trivia, it was filmed at the TRW Space and Defense Park uh, with in California. It is like, it is really distinctive because it's like, they don't do a whole lot of location shoots in Star Trek. And this just reeks of like 60s, like space, space futurism. And it used to be used for like NASA and stuff at the time. It was actually tied to the space program. It is now owned by Northrop Grumman. Uh, their aerospace division. Of course it is. Course <laughs> which, it is. is which is funny only in that recently, uh, in the time of this recording, Northrop Grumman had a huge thing about trying to sell Marvel or in selling Marvel on creating defense contractor superheroes to teach kids that they can also go into an exciting field of aerospace engineering. Probably at this very building that probably looks very similar to how it does in this episode. That happened. They got yelled <laughs> at and had to stop it, but it still happened. No. Uh, the other thing is the the parasites are not weak to like any old light. They are weak explicitly to UV radiation. So they bombard the entire planet with intense UV radiation. I don't know if you've ever been in a tanning booth. I have not. But what that would probably do is kill everyone on the planet. That's what I was thinking. I mean, so one he says I've I've uh, I've bombarded this with with radiation with everything, and I haven't been able to haven't been able to deal with that. I was like, wait, is this reveal going to be that it's light? Because light's radiation. Like I've yeah. I've done a science once. <laughs> the sixties were a stupider time. Like um, I, like I joke, but also like the amount that an average person in the sixties knew about science compared to twenty seventeen is like there's a profound and actual difference there. Um, it's like in TNG. One of the things as a kid I thought was like really interesting is there's one episode where like this kid is talking to his dad. He's like, oh, I don't want to take calculus. And he's like eight. And I was like, how can an eight year old be taking calculus? And like the bar on what a child can know just like raises as we get better as a people, you would hope. Uh, and I feel like that tracks through Star Trek. Sure. That makes sense. We know more than the people who are writing Star Trek in the 60s. That's very clear. <laughs> Uh, I guess that's true, just from, like, time and the basics of, like, science education. Yeah, like, science education's better. We grew up watching shows like Star Trek that taught us a lot of things about science and to be curious about science. Most of them are bullshit, but then I actually learned what the things were. Yeah, then you learn the antimatter is not only real, but people are experimenting with it on the regular, and you're like, man, science is cool. Oh, it can be. It can also be very bad. Uh, Like when they cook an entire planet full of millions of people with UV radiation? (laughs) When he when he uh, go through two tests, uh, destroys the thing, and then blinds Spock, and then just goes, ah, oh, shit, my bad, guys. So I actually really like this episode for the McCoy Spockness, uh, because McCoy is horrified that he blinded Spock without with like, and it was unnecessary. Meanwhile, Spock is like, no, it was like 
you did the right thing. We had the, this was the information we were working on. This is a reasonable compromise. Like I'm willing to take being blind to not being in piercing pain anymore. And like most of the episode is Spock walking around, like trying very hard to remain like a placid Vulcan as he's clearly struggling. And I like Leonard Nimoy doing his best, like chronic pain acting. I think that's a really interesting bit. Um, and the interplay with him and McCoy is really good in this episode. Uh, even up through your ridiculous comedy ending, which we'll talk about. Um, yeah. But uh, just the way those two bounce off each other is like really good and thoughtful in a way that like sometimes I don't think of the show and I need to start revising my opinion about that sort of stuff because the 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 context here is really good. Like Spock, even through all this pain, is always augment, like arguing for the like clear utilitarian answer. Like the the basic argument here when they don't really know what to do with the parasites is these parasites can't be killed. We don't know how to do it. It is logical that we just kill everyone on the planet and Spock so these parasites can't get off the planet. Like, we just kill everyone, seal off the planet, no one gets to go there anymore. Um, and, uh, like, the argument basically boils down to needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And Kirk immediately rejects it. He's like, no, this is not the way. We can find a different way to do this. Like, this is what Starfleet is about. We find the middle way because I'm Captain Kirk, goddammit. Uh, and it's interesting only in knowing how much that idea falls apart later on when no, sometimes you do just have to take the sacrifice. Like this is a good episode to think about in the context of Wrath of Khan. I was thinking about that for both of them because both of these episodes basically revolve around a threat that uh, becomes more and more like omnipresent and like unavoidable for three acts until suddenly out of nowhere uh, a solution is found through like Kirk coming up with some bullshit like it both of these episodes have that moment like he suddenly to, to be realizes... fair, Kirk does not come up with any bullshit this is all McCoy doing science and it's like 60s sloppy nonsense science but like most of this episode is McCoy looking at like a telus like a microscope, like opining about what they could possibly do with these weird brain cells from another dimension. Oh sure, but Kirk is the one that figures out that it's light. Sure. Like, he he gets the moment in both of these ways, like, I there has to be another way, there has to be another way, and suddenly like comes up with a magic other way, which makes sense in the like I, I take that as, I guess, true from the way Wrath of Khan, like, talks about the original series and, like, implies how those adventures were. Uh, but it's weird to see that, oh, yeah, he's just presented with, like, certain death in these two episodes and just, hey, sudden solution, we're fine, everything's fine, we're good. I mean, he loses his brother, I guess, but he doesn't seem to care. No, no, time is not the fire in which he burns. Time is not the fire. Well, later. <laughs> he very specifically burns in that very same time fire. <laughs> but he's not really beat up about it. Not the way Picard is. No, he just wants some eggs. Yep. Uh, yeah, no. It, to me, like I told you when I watched this episode that I was struck by how much it felt like a Discovery episode. Um, which I guess, you know, we can't assume people are watching Discovery. But I, if you're listening to this, you should probably watch Discovery. And to me, it's like this idea that this episode's about like a weird, like, disconnected brain cells that are just like floating through the galaxy slowly like making people mad because it needs to override people to like travel through space it and then it's weak to light which actually doesn't make sense if it's traveling through space but whatever um that this is like this like sloppy science in the same way that like the tardigrade that uses mycelium to travel through the networks of space is like sloppy science. I love this particular type of, we took something that like sounds just plausible enough and smash it together hard enough with our plot to make it work. And there's always like that revolves around a scientist describing everything to you like three times in an episode. Yeah. It's uh, I guess I, I didn't like put that. It wasn't my like main reaction, but you're totally right. Uh, discovery yep. especially in the context of like 
uh, weird science thing that is very loose but mostly serves in order to present a conflict between uh, bashing your head against it and and or a like pragmatist militaristic solution. Yep. Like that is what discovery is about at the moment. Yep. So you want to talk about the ending with McCoy and Spock? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I do. Uh, so, uh, after having recovered from his blindness, um, Spock comes back to the bridge uh, and says, uh, oh, "What does he say?" He says something like, um, "I'm sure I know the like the main lines, but basically says to Kirk." Uh, like I, I am back. Everything is fine. And Kirk goes, "I this would have been a, this would have been an emotional experience for for humans, but I assume you didn't feel that much at all." Uh, and uh, Spock goes, "Well, actually, I did have a reaction. My first sight was the face of Doctor McCoy bending over me." And then, <laughs> um, uh, Bones just goes, "Ah, tis a pity your brief blindness did not appreciate uh, increase your ha. Imp- <laughs> tis a pity your brief blindness did not increase your appreciation for beauty, Mister Spock." <laughs> Yep. <laughs> which so i immediately screen cap that <laughs> and then continue going and then like a second later um uh mccoy says to kirk like don't uh don't tell uh spock about that time i said he was the best first officer in the fleet he'll give me shit for that and spock turns around and basically like gives the equivalent of a vulcan it, smile no, it's it's actually from off screen he's like well thank you doctor and then it cuts to him turning around and being and like smiling at them and that's when kirk's like you've been so concerned about his vulcan eyes doctor you forgot about his vulcan ears <laughs> oh it's so ridiculous this is fanfic this this ending is just fanfic Yep, I'm here for it. I'm I'm now a McCoy Spock shipper. I didn't think that's what where I was going to head as a person, but it is. Uh, it is. Yep. This episode's kind of goofy, but I I actually really enjoyed it. I like it a lot. I like yep. it a lot. It's yeah, it's not uh, a standout original series episode, uh, but I like it not just the same. I like it as like this is just an hour of television of the people I enjoy hanging out, hanging out. There is a perfunctory mystery uh that is goofy and fun it's a good episode yep so that's gonna do it uh next time of course we're watching the cage and dagger of the mind uh, both from the original series both from season one if you have not finished ds9 please stop listening now check out all of our other shows at normalmapping.com tell your friends about us support us at patreon.com normalmapping and we will be back at the end of this for more star trek
Our book this month is Lesser Evil, which is Mission Gamma Book 404, written by Robert Simpson. It came out in November of 2002. We are done with this whole subset of Mission Gamma books. Jackson, how do you feel about being done with this? Uh, pretty good. I, I mean, I'm excited to get on to the next part because this ends with cliffhangers. Yeah, no, that's fair. Jackson, where are we in this DS9 universe in the year 2376? So, it has been uh, about eight or so months since the finale of Deep Space Nine. Uh, in that time, a lot has happened. Uh, Kira is still in charge of the station, uh, but the Federation have come, and they are about to... Well, last last book, they were about to sign Bajor into the Federation. That means we have on the station, we have Admiral Akar, who is the baby from... Friday's Child. Uh, Friday's Child. Uh, we have uh, Security Chief Ro Laren, who is not knowing what to do, because uh, the Federation do not like her. She does not want to work for them. Uh, but if Bajor enters into the Federation, Deep Space Nine will just become a Federation station. Uh, we have Tyranitar, who is a Jem'Hadar, who uh, exists in order, uh, like, uh, because... Um, Odo sent him from the Dominion as like a to be the data of this uh this book series. Uh Cassidy Yates is on Bajor expecting the birth of the emissary's child. Uh Jake is in the wormhole, presumably, or something. We don't know really. Uh but Jake uh went to find like followed a prophecy that said if you want to find your dad again, you can go to the wormhole. And he did, and now no one's seen him for months. In the last book, uh at the signing of the, the Federation ceremony, uh, Shakar, uh, you may know from DS9, uh, who is now the first minister of Bajor, um, uh, was about to sign everyone into the um, everyone in to the Federation in Bajor. Was about to like make that into law. Uh, he's been acting weird for the last few books, uh, being kind of shady towards uh, Kira and the uh, Cardassian peace talks. He is murdered. He is assassinated in front of everybody, and that's that's where we're at. That's the big thing. However, there are some other plot lines going on in other parts of space on Earth. Joseph Sisko is very sad because uh, his son and his grandson decided to go disappear uh, and do some wormhole nonsense. Uh, and so, last book, he he died. He died. Rip Joseph Sisko. He collapsed and uh, walked in, and they found him dead. Uh, so we'll see how dead he is this time. Uh, meanwhile on the other side of the wormhole are the rest of the current crew of deep space nine they are on a mission on the defiant to like chart parts of the gamma quadrant we have uh first officer commander elias or he's the captain of the defiant but the ds9's first officer uh, we have Commander Elias Vaughn, who is a 110 or 100 and something year old Star Trek big boss. He's amazing. Uh, I love him so much. We also have his daughter, uh, Prin Tenme, who is like the uh, the uh, pilot in this. So I guess Helm uh, is where she would be. Uh, we have uh, Nog, uh, Esri, and Bashir, who basically are pretty much in the same place they were at the end of DS9. Uh, even though Bashir and Esri should clearly still not be together. Uh, yet they are. We have Shah? Shah, yeah. Yes, fuck. Every time. You're going to confuse me. Uh, we have Shah, who is an Andorian, uh, who is just on the station now, on, on the Defiant right now. And I think that is it for the big the big characters. Have I forgotten anyone? I may have forgotten someone, but... No, I, you actually, I think you nailed every... Uh, yeah, you nailed everyone, because um, uh, Vedic, what's his name, doesn't matter in this episode, in this book. Yes, like, I don't know, uh, Quark and Roa kind of together, question yeah. mark. 
uh, Quark has very little to do in this episode. You did say the words, uh, Admiral Akar, who is that baby from Friday's Child, and I realized how fucking weird these books sound to anyone who isn't following along. <laughs> I mean, he's in his hundreds now. Yeah, he's in his hundreds. He's a giant man from Capella 4, but he's the Admiral from Starfleet, that baby from Friday's Child. <laughs> He brings up multiple times that you know, know. babies from I know, Friday's but Child. if you don't know what Friday's Child is, there's a baby admiral running things on <laughs> DS9. Well, he's not a baby. He was. We were all babies He was once. a baby, yes. He was a baby once. He was a normal-sized baby who turned into a giant man. Well, I mean, I guess a normal-sized Capellan. I mean, the baby in that show is, like, normal size for a human baby, too. That's true. We don't know yeah. the Capellans anything, really. <laughs> yeah, no, they suck. That's what we know. We know that they suck too much to be in the Federation and he had to leave. Do you want to just do the Defiant stuff first, except for the very end? <coughs> yes, we will do the core plot uh, of the stuff. So, where is the Defiant? Uh, what are they the doing? De- the Defiant's on its way back because the Defiant's been through three books and it's like on its last leg. They need to. Re- they don't have replicators anymore. They burnt those out. They need to fix shit. Everyone's tired. They just want to go into a hollow suite and like eat and fuck and sleep. I don't know. Whatever you do in Star Trek. Uh, so they're Two heading back. Uh, <laughs> probably. I I don't know. I would probably sleep in a holodeck. Are you kidding me? Like just like. On a oh beach. no! You said in you said whatever you do in Star Trek, and I was like, two of those things happen in Star Trek. <laughs> um. Anyway, they get a they get a strange signal that they pick up, Ooh. and Elias Vaughn immediately like recognizes and goes, "Oh God, what what should I do?" And like locks himself in his quarters and freaks out and directs them to go find it. They find a crashed ship, uh, and in that ship, uh, they find two. Th- Multiple ships, I guess. They they go to this planet and they find a crashed Dominion freighter and they find a crashed Borg ship. And on the, the Borg ship seems to be a mostly assimilated Starfleet ship. And in the Jem'Hadar ship, they find a changeling child running around that they like stun and scare off or whatever. And then on the Borg ship, they find a drone that Vaughn recognizes as his long lost wife, Ruriko Tenme. Yep. He brings her on board, like orders everyone, don't tell Prin, we have to save her, you have to disengage her from the Borg equipment, even though uh, she is like 60% Borg stuff at this point, and uh, they're like, I don't think that's going to happen, like half her brain is like nanites now, like what What do you want me to do? Uh, and he he's very unreasonable about it. Um, anyway, Prin, of course, sees her mother <laughs> yeah. and freaks out. Yeah, every- like, okay, the first thing we're going to do is make sure Prin doesn't see this. And immediately she walks in and goes, Mom? Yeah. Um, and then they have this realization that, like, even if they remove, like, most of the equipment, she's probably still brain dead. Um, but also there's, like, the nanoprobes just have, like, this compulsion to attack even if the, like, host body is dead. And so she's, like, really dangerous even if they've, like, disengaged her from the collective or anything. And so Vaughn uh, rushes into sickbay to see Prin, like, too close to her mother, like, having a moment, and then just vaporizes Ruriko and puts an end to that. And then Vaughn and Prin are not talking again because we always have to reset to zero, I guess. I don't know. Books are I dumb mean, he, sometimes. He did kill, re-kill uh, her mom in front of her eyes. Like, now, the, the, the drone, uh, the Ruriko drone, uh, is basically, like, having memories and talking to Prin and um the explanation is like no the the borg just knows how to get you to like 
the Borg is doing its infiltration thing. It's going to assimilate you before we can discover that, and then both of you are going to assimilate a bunch of people, and then by the time we figure out there's an infection, it's going to be too late. The only way to save ourselves, the Federation, everything, uh, is to kill the person, or kill the like technology pretending to be a, this person we can't let go. Uh, but the way he does that is to fucking murder her in cold blood in front of Prim, so she's going to be fucked up about that for a while. It's weird because, like, she clearly understands that he did the right thing. She doesn't even disagree with it. It's just her emotional reaction is way too strong. And, like, she's like, we're, like, it's hard, you know? Like, it's hard for everybody, I guess. Uh, the the Defiant continues on its journey. They get the Changeling girl off of the planet by being like, hey, we know we know uh, the founders. We know how the Dominion works. Like, please just come with us. We'll take you to the DS9 and then the war is over and we'll contact them and they'll come pick you up. And so they grab the Changeling girl and they take her and they're headed towards the wormhole to home. Meanwhile, on the other side of the wormhole, we'll save the best for last. You know what we're skipping. It's fine. Yeah, uh, I mean, we're doing a much more condensed summary this time. Yeah, no, the, the, this book is much shorter than the last three books we read is part of it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is just kind of faffing about with stuff that, like, Vaughn is, like, unreasonable for a long time and Ezri goes and comforts him and, like, none of that matters. <laughs> sure, but, like, we are getting through this stuff. I'm sure we'll have takes after the summary's done. Yep. Uh, meanwhile, everyone is dealing with the immediate aftermath of Shakar getting the back of his head blown off uh, because they describe the assassination, which is a <laughs> knife that is thrown that hits him in like the vertebrae of his like spine where it attaches to his neck. And then a phaser is on the end of that knife and like goes off and vaporizes the back of his head. That dude is deader than dead. And it uh, was thrown out as a uh, moment of just, oh, this is just how fucked up this weapon is, but it's actually foreshadowing because please tell me what the fuck is going on here. So what happens is Kieran Reese is like, she's still apparently an officer, even though she didn't know that um, because they, uh, General Ak- or Admiral Akar conveniently forgot her like resignation from Starfleet at the end of the war. So she is given a position on the USS Griffin that has been around during these peace talks to go to Trill and get the assassin. Cause the assassin is a Trill character uh, named something guard. It's actually not in this list. Yes, he is God. That is that is God. Yeah. Uh, he is the guy that Roe was flirting with last time, but then turned out to suddenly murder Shakar. I'm like, yeah. Why is he suddenly evil? Uh, so, I yes, the the there's like a thing. There's like a transport beam to a ship at the time of the murder that goes to Trill, and they're like, okay, yeah, they're, they're basically they're, bas- they're basically chasing a cloak signature because they're like, oh, yes. there's a cloak thing headed towards Trill, and then the meanwhile. Like, Asara Muddin, who is the right-hand lady of Shakar, who is now the First Minister, is sworn in, and she's like, uh, one of the Federation members of just murdered the leader of our planet, so maybe we're going to rethink joining your Federation right now until you figure this out. And everyone's very unhappy about that, but understands her reasoning. Um, mm-hmm. So they, they try to examine what happened to Shakar, and what they discover well, is no. that Sh- uh, this is like ties into the row stuff, right? What do you mean? Like, I mean, like finding guard doesn't the stuff with guard happen after they've discovered what happened? No, like it happens because in that very meeting, Roe is like, ah, oh, he's still on the station. I know he's still on the station. Oh, I know yeah, it sorry. in my bones. Uh, and then they discover the the uh, the um uh like uh cloak signature, and Roe gets owned in front of everyone, and now everyone hates Roe even more. But then she refuses to give up, and with the help of Tyranitar, uh, like hacks the uh the um 
uh, just the, the screen in ops and shuts down ops and like takes control of everything in front of Akar and Akar is so mad and that's how she like captures Guard because Guard is like hiding. Guard is in the rafters of ops in a like weird like stealth suit that the Federation has that like has a cloaking device and life support so it's entirely cut off from the universe. You're just cloaked until someone can come get you basically. This is the second insurrection technology <laughs> oh i i didn't remember this as an insurrection technology good i'm glad that's from something it's the one it's the, i I'm, i think i'm right i could be wrong but remember in insurrection where suddenly data is just ahead because he's on that planet <gasps> oh right so i didn't re- you didn't remember the hollow ship i didn't remember these suits <laughs> someday yeah, no. we're gonna watch insurrection and remember these things <laughs> i never because i don't actually think i've watched insurrection all the way through uh okay. but um i remember seeing it like uh on tv as a kid and i will never forget the image of just data's head floating around yeah fair enough so uh yes that's what this is uh and so they find guard and they're like oh fine i guess you're a good security officer Ro. god damn you you maverick so this is around the time that they do an autopsy on shakar and what they find is that he has a weird like enzyme or some science term in his blood and it's the exact same thing that trill hosts have in them that like is the thing that allows contact between the host and the the worm and they're like, well, he clearly didn't have a trill parasite in him. What what possibly could be causing this? Because that's the only time in nature that that like uh, like enzyme is seen in bodies. And Akar is like, no, that's not the only time that enzyme's ever seen been seen in bodies. In fact, there's a time in Starfleet history where that enzyme was seen in bodies, and that time is the conspiracy, the ori- season one TNG episode where a bunch of parasites get into admirals and try to take over Starfleet, and they shoot that guy, and a giant alien comes out of his chest. <laughs> so the actual thing that is true about this book that is the thing i love that is why this book is amazing uh amazing whatever is really good in a way that the even the other ones haven't been uh is that it is so on its bullshit about dumb references and like callbacks and part of that is like just the way it writes the scenes and part of that is the larger plot is we're gonna bring back the conspiracy aliens from season one of tng Oh my god! And that's why Shakar was acting weird. Yep. And so the Trill apparently know this because the Trill have been waging a secret, like, Vatican war against these people. And so he was operating under the command of the Trill government, but that means that one of those other parasites is on the Griffin being sent to Trill to try to, like, destroy the Trill as, like, part of this conspiracy. And, like, if they get to Trill, they're just going to fire on Trill and destroy thousands of, the like, the symbiotes, and that can't happen, and they need to get a message to Kira, because Kira's the only one who can stop it. Now, the reasoning is... um like oh god was like on this secret uh trail war mission uh and kira's on uh on the ship what ship she on? she's on the uh the griffin the griffin I think. the griffin yes. i've been saying the griffin yes yes uh, uh she's she's in the griffin and she's ha- like hanging out with everyone and suddenly realizes oh someone the captain of that ship has to be uh has to be a parasite it's, it's we have to go deal with it that's clearly the only thing that makes sense kira be on your guard uh and so she is on her guard, or well, I guess not. That wasn't a joke, because uh, one of the characters. Yes, no, I understand. <laughs> um, and so she's like, "Oh shit, uh, have you?" She talks to um, uh, like the first officer Montenegro, who's like, "Captain's been acting weird recently. What's up with that?" Uh, and they realize, "Oh, she's she's got to be. She's one of these parasites. We've got to deal with it. We've got to deal with it right now." They run in, hold her at gunpoint, and it's like, "We know your deal, 
this is you have you are done we have solved this problem and immediately turns around to see first officer montenegro shutting the door on them and being like haha i'm the real parasite get on yep and so kira and Mello break out of that room because of course they do they're good at what they do and so you just have this scene of like most of the ship has been ordered to abandon because he like fakes a warp core breach and only a few people stay because like that that seems really shady i don't think there's a real warp core breach and so it's mellow and kira and a couple people like taking back the ship in the most like commando-y star trek way it's very cool it's uh anytime you can imagine kira in a starfleet uniform carrying a phaser rifle is probably a good time it's one of the few characters where i'm like this is a character that i want to be in a, like want to see in a starfleet uniform carrying a rifle yeah exactly because <laughs> otherwise i just think of everyone in those vests in first contact yeah, no. Yep, she's the only one because Kira one. should. Kira is a character that clearly is most at home carrying a gun and ready to fuck someone's day up. Which is why it is actually the best that she's now got to be like the diplomacy person. <laughs> yep. Anyway, they manage to defeat the 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 symbiote before they get to Trill, and then, oh right, I forgot all about the thing that happens here. God, I read this book like two weeks ago. Is my excuse here? Um, so. They're trying to get to Trill, and Trill is intercepted by Starfleet ships that Akar contacted, and th- th- like from Trill, and those ships are under orders to destroy the Griffin if they don't hear from Kira that like they she's taking care of the problem because they can't have the Griffin firing on Trill. That just won't do. One of those ships happens to be captained by the Vulcan who ran the baseball team in that episode of DS9 where the Vulcan baseball team totally destroyed the DS9 baseball team. And Kira knows that and sends him a coded message with phaser bursts to tell him that it's Kira and that she's in command of the ship when she gains command of the ship. It's amazing. Because in this, because obviously, uh, like we were skipping a lot, but like as they take back the ship, uh, Captain Mello obviously dies and is like, you're, you're truly good, Kira. You're going to do this. I transfer command to you. You can take care of this problem. Uh, and so you get that like ridiculous war movie moment. And then immediately after that, in like the last 15 pages, is this thing where she uh, sends the phrase manufactured triumph in Morse code through phaser fire across space, hoping that this Vulcan will remember when. Uh, like Cisco said that to him, and of course he does because there's nothing that Vulcans forget, like will hold on to more than someone being like shitty to them and hold a grudge about it. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. So the day is saved. The day is saved. But the the they don't like the trailer. Like we have to tell you what's been happening. There's been a shadow war going on between these two types of parasites, and human bodies have been the battlefield for centuries. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what if a ridiculous parasite war because um, like, we don't actually know why like their goal is to get through Bajor through uh, Shakar if we get Bajor into the Federation then we have our foothold to take like get back into the Federation um, which is why they sped up that process uh, through like shutting down the peace talks but we don't really know the motivations of this parasite war because it's suddenly hey remember those parasites it was them all along so maybe this will be explored in a future like book that has nothing to do with this book because of course i don't know i don't know but at some point they're gonna have to deal with this yeah uh i mean there's a book coming up that kind of suggests what it might be to me but yeah uh, we'll i get, just we'll i there, wonder we'll if it's going to be in this ds9 series or if there's just going to be a random parasite book in five years down the line oh i think i think it's that those Plants the Federation, Bajor slash whatever book, or like oh, the, the Trill one. Trill, yes, yes. I guess there's a lot of stuff in this series that is like, here's the Andor thing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. Meanwhile, on Earth, Joseph Cisco is actually not dead. 
what? Yeah. Uh, Cassidy Yates and Justice Cisco's daughter. I didn't really, I don't remember Ben having a sister. So that's me. Uh, I was like, that has, to mentioned, that has to have been mentioned on the show, right? That has yeah, to be no, I'm sure it is. I'm sure you're just not, I'm not at it in my rewatch. But anyway, they get the plan that they can contact Miles O'Brien, who's at Starfleet headquarters, to come and visit. And maybe him and Mo- uh, Keiko and Molly and Kobayashi can help make Cisco happy. Because Cisco's mostly just sat in his room, like not eating and everything's bad. Uh, and so they do. And Miles O'Brien comes and tries to be respectful. And Joseph basically tells him, tells him to go pound sand. So Miles O'Brien decides that the thing he's going to do is get one of, go into Joseph Sisko's kitchen and make corned beef and cabbage and stink up the joint. And that makes Joseph Sisko mad enough that he comes down and is like, I get me the stuff to make gumbo. I have to fix this. Yeah. Uh, O'Brien shows up and fucking weaponizes how much as he's like sucks in order yep. to uh, get Joseph Sisko out of his depressive mood. Yep. Uh, and so that works and just go has like these moments where he's hanging out with Molly and Kobayashi and it's very cute and he's he's better I guess and they've kind of convinced him to stick around and he's about they to ha- have a he's about to have a granddaughter like he should stay here for that well they haven't just convinced him to stick around they've convinced him like he ends that arc going uh, you're taking me with you take me to Cassidy I want to see my grandchild be born oh right yes right uh, so he's gonna get on the ship everything is coming to a head everyone's gonna be home i wonder who else is gonna come home <laughs> well we, we, hang on i wonder who else is about to come home in this very next scene so the defiant with the changeling has headed to the wormhole where they're intercepted by a Jem'Hadar like warship thing and they and get to the wormhole well, actually what they find out is that when they get to the wormhole uh the idran system is just at the mouth of the wormhole it was like far away from the wormhole just in the gamma quadrant space but now it's in front of the wormhole and a jemhadar ship shows up and is like hey did what is going on how's it going and it's wayun saying these things because wayun is back and everyone's very mad to see wayun except for me i'm very happy to see wayun oh no we're uh, all we're all here for wayun and Wayun is like, uh, you have a changeling on board. We probably gonna want her back. Uh, and every and Vaughn's like, well, we were just gonna take her to DS9 and contact you, so that makes our job a lot easier. We can just send her over right now with our regards. And the changeling is like, yeah, they've been really good to me. Unlike everyone else that was on my ship, it died. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the changeling is such a like passive aggressive changeling. It's amazing. Um, and then Wayun is like, while we're doing this exchange of passengers, we have some passengers to give you. And they beam over three people. People, and it turns out to be just some alien named Wex. We don't really know anything about them. Jake Sisko, He's seemingly back. out of the wormhole, and yep. Kyle Paka, <laughs> who has gotten off of the planet where she was <laughs> trapped because the nanomachines were keeping her alive in an eternal war planet where everyone was kept alive with nanomachines. <laughs> and Jake's like, well, I've got a long story to tell you. Come back next time for the book Rising Sun S.O.N. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh, it's good. It's good. I really like this book. Uh, it's So I want to talk about the thing that isn't actually, like, doesn't matter for our summary, so I didn't include it, but is actually my favorite thing <laughs> in this book. Yes. So, so as we were going through this book, uh, there were a bunch of, um, like, uh, I reached a certain points and were like, well, this is the craziest thing that's happened to this book. And you're like, there, it is maybe the fourth most crazy thing that happens in this book. <laughs> <laughs> so we have, the things we have are the big first one are obviously um uh the reveal of the the parasites like th- that's what well, all this no, was about the the least crazy crazy thing is ruriko okay. tenmei as a borg 
Okay, Ruger Timmer's <laughs> Borg. That's crazy. I, I'm looking at the uh, trivia for the novel right now, and it's like this is the only full next level by this author, which is a shame because I'd it's like. It's a to shame because he got I'll, he got the voices really good on these characters. We like, talk about how like short the book is and how all these like moments with references and stuff, but the thing that makes it work is that it nails the voices very quickly. Yeah. Um, and then it says it was based in part on a pitch Simpson and the editor of these books, Marco oh. Palmieri, had developed for the television series in which Jennifer Cisco would have been the recovered drone. That's the worst idea I've ever heard. I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, I'm glad that didn't get picked up. It works here, but it's such different context. God, imagine the Ben and yep. Jake version of this. Yeah, no, that would be really bad. I would hate it. Oh, no. I hate it so much. Yep. Anyway... In in this sequence where he's dealing with Ruriko Tenmei and remembering all of the horrible things that have happened in his life, there is an extended chapter that is just a flashback of him telling how he met Ruriko to Ezri, because Ezri yes. comes to console him. And what it lays out is like a 30-year epic of 70-year-old uh, Elias Vaughn going on ridiculous, like, on-site procurement cannot be seen will be disavowed like jungle Cardassian war bullshit with a like a Vulcan like first mate called Taprin and they go to these planets and they're infiltrating stuff and they meet uh they're like he's going to basically get out a Cardassian like mad scientist who's created this AI that they're going to hook up into all the Cardassian computers to run the entire war effort through this AI uh and when they get there, they find out, oh, no, he's already been discovered and he's not actually there and they're getting captured. And so they're captured and interrogated by not yet goal Madrid from uh, that's chain of command. That's the episode. He yes. is the one who will go on to torture Picard. And in this, he's like, he's like, I've been told one day I will be a good torturer <laughs> <laughs> because Star Trek books are ridiculous. And he escapes with the help of someone in the. What's it? What is? Uh, it's not Tal Shar. Obsidian Order. That's the Obsidian Black Order, Ops yes. and the Kardashians. Yes. yes. yes, yes and yes. that person turns out to be Ruriko Tenmei, who is like surgically altered to be a Kardashian, is like the handler of this mission. Someone he's been in contact with for years, but has never seen. Like she just reads his field reports and is like, "Good job, Agent," and stamps them and sends them out to the field again. And they immediately fall in love. And she's like, I'm going to give up this job. I'm just going to go get a job doing like science and like AI stuff. And we're going to be have a family and you can go off and be a superhero uh, like Black Ops Big Boss Man. But I'm just going to be happy and we're going to have a kid. And that's what happens until decades later. That AI is back again, running the Cardassian War, or like they, it, like it's a, like a bunch of vignettes of them taking down the AI as it runs the Cardassian War effort with her developments of like nano machines that like tear it apart from the inside, and then ten years after that, like the last remnants of the AI are on a planet and it's trying to contact the Borg because it wants to interface with the Borg so it can take them over and have new hosts for its AI ambitions, and they're watching it and they're like, we have to destroy this once and for all. If it infects the Borg, everything is ruined forever. And she's like, I'm gonna go. I'm the only one who can disable it with my nano machines i've been developing my entire life please look after our daughter and like beams off to get killed and that's the tragic story of how she became a borg and the vision of this metal gear man that we've been joking is metal gear is star trek big boss forever now 
actually getting the backstory of he went through Snake Eater, but it was in the Cardassian War is <laughs> my favorite thing. Jungle. He went into the jungle to extract fake Sokolov who was inventing the Cardassian Patriots, falls in love with his fucking torture in a torture scene with his, like, shirt off, <laughs> goes fiddle years of his, like, oh, I should be able to, like, form emotional connections with people, but I'm too much of a soldier, so I have to keep leaving on these missions, and then, like, sacrifices his loved ones to destroy the fucking uh, Cardassian Patriots. It's a yes. ma- it's nanomachines not- <laughs> tragically save the day. <laughs> Magic nanomachines, literally multiple scenes from Snake Eater, beat for beat. Uh, and to be fair, like if you are just a Star Trek person, the stuff with um the parasites is the like craziest bomb in this book. Uh, but for us who are super into Metal Gear, which I don't know if if, if you haven't played it, I guess don't because it ruined my life. But I love like it a lot. <laughs> uh, it, it's just it's it, it's exactly this. It's it's and the game hasn't like ha- Snake Eater and Metal Gear Solid Four, which are the games about yeah, the, the those jungle, don't exist yet. <laughs> the jungle and the nanomachines, respectively. Yeah, they're not out for like multiple years. <laughs> it's so oh, I love it's, it. It's it's one chapter that encapsulates every stupid thing I love about these books in such a perfect way. I was so happy. I was yelling while I was reading it. I was so excited. Yeah, because it's the payoff to like uh, throughout the um the stuff with the the borg which is mostly kind of bad because it's the borg um and there's not much you can do there so the drama revolves around why is uh why is defiant why is elias being so fucking weird why is vaughn not telling us what to do he is not the kind of commander that just shuts everyone out and goes like you follow your orders because i give you your orders that's not his thing why is he doing that now uh and it's because he's like transformed into soldier man uh and this is the only way he knows how to do that but like in reverse because he would always do that as a like defense mechanism for how he would betray his family by leaving them all the time but at this time he's like betraying starfleet's orders in order to hopefully desperately save his wife and uh his daughter's mother uh and is unable to do either and eventually realizes that he needs to let them all go and apparently that means shooting her in front of Prin. Uh, there's also, like, a lot of speculation about the Borg in this book, which, like, you get these characters that, like, have heard about the Borg, and, like, they know that First Contact happened, obviously, and everything, but, like, their reaction, like, uh, Vaughn's reaction is the Borg are really dangerous, we don't really understand them a lot yet, they only seem to send one ship at a time to attack us, and each time it's a new thing, like, one time they just tried to rush Earth, another time they went back in time, and they do these plans, then they abandon them, and we don't understand, what if they all amassed and attacked at once, they're so dangerous uh and vaughn's like back-end explanation for how the borgs suck every time they show up in star trek is so good yeah because the play the play this is not the first contact podcast we will do that podcast because i hate first contact but him basically being like that one time the borg went back in time to try to defeat us is everything wrong with first contact where a single borg ship went to earth got owned went back in time (laughs) dragged the enterprise back in time with it and then failed and then the borg never thought to try this plan again is the craziest thing that's ever happened (laughs) they just have the technology to go back in time so why they couldn't just go back in time where the uh where the enterprise isn't (laughs) yeah just go back a thousand years and then head back head to this quadrant and nuke earth like it's not hard (laughs) Yeah, like the time. I mean, all the time travel technology breaks stories if you think about it too much. Sure, but like it makes sense why like an emotional villain would be like, no, we're going back at their weakest point, right when they were about to get warp flight, and we will take their greatest triumph from them. The Borg are not like that. There's no reason for the Borg to do this. Oh, we're gonna do the podcast one day. But yes, it totally feels like um, uh, this moment of 
it is a character attempting to like ascertain the logic of a situation but what it actually is is someone laying out star trek plots to you and how they don't make sense <laughs> uh, the one the one other point that i assume will come up in future books i hope because it sounds really cool is that the borg have like kind of encroached in the gamma quadrant and when they do the dominion just fucking turns them aside like no stop <laughs> not happening yeah, look, they're like, well, they haven't gone to the Dominion places, so I don't know how they can... Uh, I think it was something because the Dominion... Like, they try to interface with the Dominion, but yeah, the Changelings... They, yeah, uh, the, the, the Nanites try to take over the Changeling girl, and she literally just, like, shoots... Like, poops them out in, like, a mass. <laughs> so, like, the Changelings are uh, actually the... I don't know... I haven't seen uh, Voyager. I don't know what species, whatever it is. Oh, the fluidic name. space beings? Yes. yes. They oh, are, are they also, also fluidic space? Okay. <laughs> yeah, they're from another dimension, so that's why they're immune to the Borg. Okay. Uh, well, that ex- I, I guess the Dominion are also that. Because uh, the, the Borg have a stupid plan. What if we try to assimilate another dimension, and it goes really badly for them? <laughs> what is wrong with the Borg? <laughs> well, that's what happens when your goal is to consume at all, at all costs. Oh, that's why you exist for one episode of a show and not to to do that every time for two decades. What if you uh, what if you interface with a Cardassian AI that is just like a Cardassian like brain that is just like a, the most extreme like gold Ducat asshole, but as an AI that's gonna run the Borg forever? Well, they always go the way of like the Borg are infecting like these drones and these people, uh, but the Borg can interface with like cybernetic creatures as well. So why they haven't just like why they don't try that route is weird because in this they do that and they're like oh if the Borg combines with AI then we're fucked because then the Borg has like actually a, a, this non-corporeal form that can be anywhere and destroy everything um, yep. it's just it, they just make another episode called I Borg but the I is lowercase in front of Borg like it's an I Apple product I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not a fan of this at all <laughs> oh, but I'm assuming at some point the Borg are going to decide oh it's time to invade everyone that has to happen at some point I think that's definitely... I know I know there's a big war book like a war Borg, Borg war book series That's is that Destiny? I think it's I Destiny I think Destiny is the, the big Borg stuff like a huge... I think it's Destiny or Typhon Pact I don't no know which it one. is Destiny out of those two it's destiny okay all right um because destiny is like the big first like okay everything's ended we've had a few years of all these books going we need a big like crossover huge event uh and destiny is that so where well, i'm excited right. to get to it in like 12 years god it better be less than 12 years i mean we're in 2002 and that book came out in 2008 so we're not going to be reading every book between here and destiny though no but we do have a lot of tng and titan and stuff to get through i'm excited for those i mean yes yes you are very excited to finally read some tng which i'm sure will go away the second you start reading tng that's fine i mean i'm excited to yell about tng that's actually the truth (laughs) what i actually want to get is at a point where we can hop between the various series and not just be reading ds9 for a year yep no i mean it gets there like they balance them but that's mostly after destiny as it like resets the universe i think i don't know I i meant in a universe of releases i have no idea about the plot yep anyway uh that i i don't really have a I, like this book is like full of bullshit that i love specifically but i don't actually think it's like a worth like consideration the way a lot of the books we've read are uh well so we like read um uh what was the first one called the, the really really good twilight twilight yeah uh and that one's incredible as it like it presents this vision uh of star trek as book as like these, these are the things that are possible when you don't have a budget these are the things that are possible when you can like dive into the monologues of your characters this is how you like express what star trek's about through uh 
like this kind of of like writing these novels uh and so that was really interesting and then you have stuff like imzadi which is garbage and ridiculous uh but there's a lot to talk about there about how it um uh thinks of and conceptualizes um troy and Riker and how wrong slash right slash actually incredibly wrong it gets it all uh but then you have this which is just very entertaining it's not like the um uh book where it was uh what was the the book with the 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 fish the fish people uh oh this uh, gray spirit this gray spirit yeah yeah uh it's not like that it's not super boring it's like very readable very fast and very enjoyable but uh it really just like moves from thing to thing gets the plot done uh it doesn't help that the plot is like ridiculous um parasite war uh so it's kind of thematically light it doesn't have like a big this is what this book is about this is what this was all building to it's very moving pieces for the next thing in the series yeah uh it's kind of a shame that it's another uh vaughn and prim thing and then kind of resets the good stuff yeah i mean i assume that whatever is going to happen like because this is all like leading up to unity right like we're on the we're on the path to whatever avatar was setting up as unity concludes it i assume that is 100 percent the purpose of this book because i've got to assume that rising sun doesn't go past jake showing up on there yeah i assume it's just what jake's been doing yeah so if, if that's the case then what we're what we what this this book does is kind of bring us back to where we started so we can have continuation when the authors who started this series end this series Mm -hmm. which is just a like that's just a problem like this is like the comic book thing where you can do whatever you want but by the time that you hand it back off to the next big story things have to be where everyone recognizes them again Ezra and Bashir they're still together oh god that that will probably last for another three years at this rate I feel like um i don't know i mean I don't, because of how the ds9 books go where they're like out of time with the other books like i know the ds9 releases don't skip up to post nemesis of, uh while the post nemesis books are releasing mm-hmm. i don't know how they handle that we'll see yeah yeah i don't know where we will uh find out in next year when we read rising sun and unity and maybe well we're, we'll figure it out because there's there's some argument that maybe we should read left hand of destiny and uh lives of dax before we do that but we'll see uh I, we should read left hand of destiny but that's barely a ds9 book from what i've heard it, it apparently like ties into stuff maybe oh before unity yes uh i mean then we should if we if it's before then we should i that's my opinion if it ties yeah, in, apparently apparently it takes place before avatar but might have repercussions that are like appear when we get to unity well it was released around i mean i might cut this whole sausage conversation uh but um it was so that book was released around this time i think 2003 so it comes yep. out around the same time uh if if that has consequences for unity then we'll go and do it before because i i want to read those books anyway so we may as well do it before the stuff that round, yep. like comes around we also should read lives of dax yeah just because it sounds ridiculous <laughs> yeah also i feel like if we get deeper into the trill stuff it's going to increasingly become important that we know that stuff well life of dax wasn't released until after this book so like they i think it comes out so the thing the thing that happened is it got it was released in 99 and then got a re-release in 2002 where oh. the page count went up so they changed some stuff okay sure of course it did yep. yes of course yeah. it did yeah did they put did they put the fucking enterprise crew in there please i don't know i don't know <laughs> please i don't know i just there, there's different page counts for each version of the book so i'm excited to read that anyway let's anyway, get back to the book yeah. yes i might cut that down okay um 
so yeah, I, I like we're we're headed into uncharted waters, and I'm glad that like this has been a nice adventure where like the Defiance doing Star Trek shit, and then like the politics DS9 stuff's happening on DS9. I'm ready for that to become the same thing again for a little while. Uh, I bet we get way more prophecy stuff coming up though, so that's gonna be a real bummer. Uh, but yes, but after Unity, there's nothing, nothing. Never yeah. see Cisco's again because I'm assuming uh, like, uh, um. Cisco oh, you, is... you mean you mean when Benjamin Cisco takes control of DS9 again? <laughs> don't you dare! Don't you fucking dare! <laughs> ben Cisco is on the cover of Unity. Uh, I know. I don't know what it means, but I'm afraid of it. <laughs> there's no, no, he's there is no way. There is no way that if the, okay, do you want to make an actual like how much do we think it is likely that they reset it so Ben Cisco is in charge of the DS9 again? Like, do you really think they'll do that? Oh, I don't want them to. So I don't want to say yes, but I kind of think they might. I think there's like a 10% chance if that. No, no way. This is just from my knowledge of like... like no, if, if, they've, if they've been experimenting with this style of DS9 for like two years or whatever, and they're like, it's time to make like a big new thrust. Just like comic books, you do the thing that's going to get people who weren't reading back on board, which is Ben Sisko's back, right? From like looking... Uh, I mean, not going anywhere and looking, but just from like the covers that are surfaced to me on Amazon, I don't think that's true. I don't see Sisko enough. I don't... I mean, I want to be wrong. I want to be wrong. I just don't have faith in people. <laughs> like, and also the thing is that they re- there are DS Nine books coming out at this time that are like set during the series. Like, yeah. there are there is a book from two thousand five that's just just linked me to that is like Cisco and Garrick doing a ridiculous mission that also features uh, Cisco's sister. I went to that page. It was like in these two books and also Hollow Men. <laughs> Great, uh, Jackson. So, yeah, we have to finish this podcast. Yes, we do. This book was fine. I'm excited for what's next. Please join us on that adventure. In the meantime, we are going to be reading the first Discovery book, which is called Desperate Hours, Desperate Hours? Yes. by David Mack. It will be great. We will talk about Burnham. We will talk about Christopher Pike. I'm so excited because I know that they encounter Pike's Enterprise, and that's such a weird idea, and I'm so excited for it. Oh, my God. Uh, we're going to stay current on these Discovery books. If you have a question for us, you can send it to podcast at normalmapping.com. Jackson, where can people find the rest of our stuff? People can find our stuff at abnormalmapping.com. We have a bunch of other shows. We have Abnormal Mapping. It is a game club. Uh, if you are tired of whatever the hot video game takes are on your feed, come listen to us talk about like Prince of Persia or Final Fantasy X. Uh, it's all at, it's just fun. It's a good show. That is at thebestgame.club. Hang on, I'm going to sneeze. No, I'm not. Fuck. Even worse. Hmm. Now I've got a block nose. Okay. Uh, best game club. Uh, me and Molly do the Amory score where we read uh, and listen to the work of Coheed and Cambria. It is the exact opposite of Star Trek. It's ridiculous. Uh, it is at ineedmayo.com. Come and learn the story of Mayo Deftonwolf. It is a great time. Uh, you can support us on Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash mapping where you can listen to our exclusive patreon podcast for one dollar subscriptions uh it is called the great gundam project we watch two episodes of gundam every week it's a very good time if you like the gundam come watch along and we also have uh fireside friends which is um ryan and alan's podcast uh and it is good and they talk about stuff that's good i've we've done it i think that's it i'm at headphones off on twitter i think that's the thrust of the stuff 
Yeah, you can find me at em underscore being. Come back next time for more Star Trek. There will be Discovery episodes for as long as there's Discovery. That will actually be ending very shortly. Uh, like, the next episode after this episode goes up. No, that's not true. After this episode, there's going to be another Discovery episode the ne- tomorrow. And then after that will be the last Discovery episode of 2017. And then we'll be back next year when Discovery returns. We can actually maybe watch those TNG movies finally. Well, or not t- TNG uh, movies, the Kelvinverse stuff. Yes, My we apologies. Have, we have episodes planned, which will be mid-month episodes for the Kelvinverse stuff. Uh, we're yep. going to watch all three of those. It's going to be a good time. Please join us for that hell. Yeah, it's a sabotage. Anyway, that's it. We're done. We're done. We have a whole other podcast to record after this. I'm so exhausted. Everyone, thank you so much. Fund the Patreon. Tell your friends, as always. See you out there.